and welcome to this episode of Untold. I'm Maeve Dennehy and I'm joined today by Sally Nagel. This is my first time meeting Sally, but she had sent me an email and I think your story is obviously a very, very interesting story, a story that should be heard by people. But I think more than anything, through your email, it was your positivity and your gratitude that I was like, I really want to talk to her because we all go through different events and traumas in our life. You have definitely more to your story, but it was your, you could actually feel your attitude towards it was a very positive one, which I'm sure wasn't always easy. So we'll just start at the start today. Thank you for coming in, Sally. Thank you very much for having me. Maybe. I'm looking forward to hearing your story. So I suppose we'll start at the very beginning. Yeah. When you uh, were born. <laughs> when I was born, yeah. I suppose, and that's really when it did start for me. Um, of course. I was born into a large family, uh, five siblings. Uh, Are you the youngest? I am. Okay. <laughs> so I have three sisters and two brothers. Um, and I suppose from a young age when I was born, my parents knew there was something different about me. Okay. Um, I screamed and cried a lot when they were changing my baby grows and when I would try crawl. Um, and I normally used my, you know, normally babies when they're crawling, they use their hands mm-hmm. to kind of crawl along. But I used to use my elbows. So I suppose from then on, very early, my parents kind of knew there was just something different and something had a of a concern for me. Um, and from there, I suppose they went on to kind of. I suppose go to, they went to loads of conferences and different consultants and hospitals. Um, and it was only at the age of five um, uh, we actually had to go to Manchester Children's Hospital. Okay. Um, and I underwent many different... Um, it's been so hard for yeah. your parents, of course. Yeah, do you know, and I suppose they did have other children as well. Of so course. it was hard. It was like they had to get other people. Now, thank God, I was the youngest. So in a way, it was a little bit easier than if I had other young, younger siblings. Of course. That they could just kind of get up and, you know, go and try and get this finally, um, yeah. get a diagnosis, I suppose, for what was happening. Of course. So you went to Manchester at yeah, five? at five. Um, we're probably four and a half, I suppose, or four. Um, and I suppose after lots of testing, they came back with a diagnosis. It's a very rare condition. It's called idiopathic multicentric osteolysis. I won't, I won't ask you to spell it anyway. I definitely won't do no, that. But it's basically, um, I'm the only case in Britain. Um, in Britain. And so you're the only case? Yeah, known in of this condition in Britain and Ireland. Um, so I suppose we got it confirmed again in Grey Morton Street um, Children's Hospital in London, just to confirm that it was definitely... Because At the I same had age, when you were five? Yeah, um, I suppose just because... My parents had gotten so many other diagnoses for me and they weren't the correct ones. They really wanted to make sure that this was the of correct course. diagnosis. Um, and what does that say, What does it mean? So, yeah, for people, I mean, it's a, that was a long-winded name. But I actually, can only imagine as a parent hearing a big long-winded word, <laughs> hearing you're the only person in Britain and Ireland. Like, that's really overwhelming. Yeah, and I suppose not having maybe that support that maybe other groups of people would have. Or going to the specific specialist or yes. whatever it might be, of yeah. course. Yeah, so I suppose what it really means is it's an arthritic-like condition. Okay. It's where basically the bones break down um, in the mostly the hands and the feet and it forms a hard tissue. Instead, that's like the more simple terms of how it would uh, I suppose affect somebody that has it um, and I suppose that was why I was having all them pains as a young child because the bones were really breaking down trying to crawl and yeah everything. trying to crawl and you know it was almost like walking on like broken you know kind of in a way broken hands and feet um so I suppose once they got that diagnosis, I mean, it helped and didn't because there wasn't many people or doctors that even knew about it. Um, but it did help in terms of me being able to, I suppose, um, grow up with it, learn to be able to kind of still do things. I, from a young child, I was always so independent and wanted to be like everybody else. I think the youngest <laughs> is naturally like that anyway, though, aren't they? So yeah. the youngest, and then being told that you, I know you probably didn't have an understanding of it, but you knew you were somehow different, I'd imagine. Totally. You yeah. want to prove everyone wrong, like we totally. always do, of course. Yeah. Um, and I suppose, you know, I had to get physio a lot. Um, um, thank, thankfully, as I got a bit older, it kind of got to a stage where it kind of, in a way, went dormant and it was there, but obviously it wasn't progressing, thankfully. Okay. 
and it's been like that for a good few years now thank god i mean i'm nearly 31 in october um and um i suppose so yeah growing up i suppose i was always different going to school but i also had really amazing friends and my family even though none of my other siblings had that condition they never made me feel different. And what know. would it have limited you from doing when you were younger? I suppose especially, um, I suppose really mainly like contact sports, you know, because I'd be afraid that I'd break something and that it wouldn't heal the right way. Um, so I suppose in certain activities, I wouldn't have been able to be like the rest of my friends, you know. Okay. I mean, I always relied kind of on the swimming or the things that were in contact. Um, but, you know, even playing in the, in the, in the playground at lunchtime in school, I could do that, obviously, but I was more. I had to be more careful in terms of banging into people, or you know, I might not have been as steady as other children. I suppose even at the age of five or upwards in primary school. Okay. Um. So I suppose there was always then challenges, mm-hmm. and along with that, the challenges of being different from other people. Of course. Um, and not, I suppose, not fitting in in a way as a young sense. yeah fitting in, and in a way, I felt more fitted in. As a young child, because children just don't really That's distinguish. The about kids, they don't it? distinguish. They don't, they don't look at someone and judge. They don't. They yeah. don't. You know, they kind of just think we're all the same, and you know, it doesn't matter if someone's hands look different or you know. Yeah. Um. So I suppose after that, really, my journey kind of took me to secondary school. Um. I suppose in secondary school, first year went really well, and you know, it was a new school. I did have a friend that came from primary school with me right up into the same secondary school which was always lovely because you never feel totally on your own do you know when you're starting off and then at the end of um first year in secondary school during the summer um we were away in cyprus with my family for a holiday and i just became very unwell and started vomiting um and at the time, I didn't tell my parents. I don't now. I look back on it, and I'm like, why didn't I say to my parents I was sick? But I think I just thought it was, you know, like I ate something funny. Tommy and was, bug, you know, yeah, you know, and you're not, or you're the not. Swimming pool or yeah. Um, but I suppose my parents kind of thought something was up because my dad was saying, "Oh, do you want to go into the pool?" And I was saying, "No, I'm okay." Do you know, and that was never normal for me because I'd want to be like in the pool all the time. I'm not someone to sit out and mm. in the sun. I just love being in the pool. Um. So I suppose we were kind of there for a week and it was on and off that I was getting the vomiting and then we returned home and maybe a couple of days later we went to Waterford to a Baha'i summer school. Um, the Baha'i faith is a world religion. Um, I'm part of it. I grew up at it with my parents. I've never heard of it. Yeah, um, so it's a world religion. Um, so we were at a week-long summer school down mm-hmm. in Waterford um, and I suppose that vomiting kind of continued in a way. Um and I suppose I started getting a bit more concerned myself and I suppose I kind of plucked up the courage, I suppose, in one way to say to my parents, look, actually, I have been kind of unwell, you know. And would your parents have been looking out for this or would this have been something that would um, have been discussed as a potential? So I suppose um, when I got my first initial diagnosis, my parents were told with the very little they knew about my condition, Mm -hmm. that it was possible that in my teenage years I could get kidney failure, basically. But I suppose myself and my parents and my family kind of just to try to get on with it because it wasn't like a definite thing that definitely was going to happen. And I suppose, as we know, we can't kind of live on edge and not kind of embrace life and enjoy it as much as possible. Um, So I suppose... I, when I was down in that summer school in Waterford, I did tell my parents because that vomiting continued. So my parents took me to a doctor down there um, and the doctor kind of thought, oh, I think it's just, you know, a tummy bug or something and gave me something to put into water to take more fluids. Um, but it was really when I went back home to Cork um, that I complained that my chest um, and my heart kind of finding it hard to breathe to my parents. So they said, well, this isn't right. We went straight to CUH um, and they did a few tests and then they gave me this tablet and sent me home and said, look, if it gets worse, please come back in. Um, so that evening I was at home and I just remember sitting in the couch. You know, my parents had set me up to, you know, watch a bit of TV and they had... They happened to have friends over that night, but they were only in the next room. 
and they said, look, ring me now if, you know, if it's getting worse. But I just remember sitting in the front room and my friend from across the road knocked on the door and it wouldn't be like me at all, but I didn't even take notice. Didn't I couldn't even get up to actually answer the door for her. And I suppose that's when I knew it was getting worse. I was just finding it really, really hard to fully breathe. Um, so my it's parents... quite frightening for you, though. Oh, God, totally. I suppose I, at that time, I didn't know it was kidney failure that was actually happening. How and would you, though? I suppose none of us no, would know, you know the symptoms of that. I suppose because I had never had it or never known yeah. of someone having it that I didn't know that actually they were the... Air, you know, the but at the 14, you're not going to know no, about exactly. kidney failure, please God. You exactly. Exactly. So my parents did take me back into CUH, but because we had been hours there, you know, when we went into A&E that morning, um, my dad said, look, no, we're going to go straight to the children's ward, which isn't normal protocol, as we all know, you have to go through the system. But anyway, my dad was adamant that, no, we were going to go to the children's ward. And when we got down there, they said, oh, no, we don't have your name. And my dad said, well, I'm not leaving here unless you, you know. So after a while, to be fair to them, they did find me a bed and they did do loads of blood tests and other tests. And it so and then at that stage, my mom said, oh, look, I'd, we were waiting for the blood tests at that stage. I'll go home and collect some stuff because we had kind of just rushed there and not known that I was it was going to be a permanent, a longer term thing that I'd be in the hospital. Um, so I suppose at that stage, then I kind of... Um, it was late in the night now, it was around half twelve, I think, they came back with the blood results. Um, and my dad was there at the time, and I suppose we were just in complete shock. We, we, I suppose my parents never thought it would actually happen, you know, in a way. Um, and Probably their worst nightmare coming through, like yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah, and I suppose not... I suppose not really knowing anybody else with it at the time. I suppose no. it's not until you're affected by it yourself that you realise, oh, there's actually loads of people around yeah. that are affected by this. Um, and I suppose my dad at the time smoked, and I just remember him saying, this is after the time now, but that he had to go out and just, <laughs> as they say, smoke like a trooper outside to try and get, pluck up the courage to phone my mum to tell her the news. Um, and so he did anyway. He eventually was able to call, but it was my sister that actually picked up the phone and I think my dad must have started crying or something on the phone, and my sister just screamed out loud to my mom. And I think at that, in them few moments, it took my mom to get to the phone. She thought I had died. She thought that, you know, she thought the worst thing because of the way my sister was screaming. But when she got to the phone and my dad said, look, it's kidney failure, she, in a way, felt relieved because she thought I had died. She thought I was not there. Two evils, but yeah, it's still, still very frightening. They're very frightening, and obviously totally um nothing she ever heard of before and she was you know trying to ask my dad all the questions but he didn't have all the answers do you know um so of course she came straight into the hospital and then I was rushed to Crumlin because they really said look Crumlin really is the place that has the specialists so would you've been taken by ambulance yeah so I was rushed your parents yes or? yeah so that was and you I know think that must be the hardest <laughs> journey I just as a parent I can't imagine how hard it must be you yeah. know I think whatever anyone goes through I think a sick child must be the most yeah you do anything to do fix them or you oh, put t- yourself there in a heartbeat oh as, as my parents used to always say I wish it was just me there oh. and that I could just you know but we did rush to now and as I say all the time my parents were so lucky that we, I had older older siblings, mm-hmm. and my very my older sister was able to kind of look Take after over. the younger, you know, because she was at that age. Um, so yeah, um, we were rushed to um Crumlin, and they had to do a kind of an operation where it was basically um, it's just it's actually a very simple procedure where they put in a catheter in your tummy so that you can actually do dialysis, which okay. is is treatment for if you have kidney failure. It's basically um, getting rid of all the toxins and the fluid out of your body. Mm-hmm. And obviously at that stage, I had very high amounts of fluid on my lung and around my heart. Yeah. So that was the feeling I was getting was that tightness around my heart. And normally it's a very simple procedure. But for me, because I had all that fluid around my heart, as they were putting that catheter in, they, one of my lungs got punctured and fell onto the heart. And I actually had a cardiac arrest during that as we call a simple procedure. Um, now, obviously, my parents at the time were kind of sitting outside and they did see a lot of doctors coming in and out, but they didn't have a clue that that had just happened. 
luckily I was strong enough and I, you know, I did pull through. Mm-hmm. Um, but for that first kind of year, six months out of that year, we were in Crumlin, up and down. My parents had to get trained on the dialysis because it was a form that you could do at home. Um, so because there's also one that you can do in the hospital yeah. um, so because I was young they did the one at home because they felt look at least she'd be able to go to school and yeah. you know um, I suppose so they learned how to do it and also one of my sisters offered to learn so that my parents could have a break because it's very full on I was on oh, it for 12 and a half hours every night every day. Oh my goodness. yeah so I started at 10 hours but that wasn't enough and would you sleep through it or yeah people always ask that actually it's funny but yeah no I mean not at the start when you're not used to it, but you do, and then you might roll over onto the cord and it'll beep beep, and you obviously go back over to the other side. But you do get used to it's like a humming sound, so you nearly almost get used to the sound. Yeah, yeah, do you know? Um, so I suppose um, I was on dialysis that dialysis for two years. Um, like <laughs> yeah, do you know, two years, like, which, you know... Are you still to- going to school and trying so to yeah, live a normal So, yeah, as I said life? to my parents, like, I think at that stage I was so determined. Like, I was like, I want to do my my junior cert, you know, I want to be like everybody you else. just wanted to be I want, normal, yeah. just not, not, you know, and, yeah. yeah. And I suppose I always, while on dialysis, always had the mindset, okay, I'm on dialysis for 12 and a half hours, but for the rest of the time, I can do what I want. So I'm going to enjoy that. That was the mind frame that got me through that hard period. Can as I ask you? Sorry, not yeah, so ignorant, no. but when you're on dialysis, like, do you go on dialysis for like a year? Or how does it work? Are you on so dialysis forever? How, like, how does that work? So basically, um, how dialysis works is you're on it until you get a call for a transplant. You immediately go on a transplant list. Yeah. So then you get built up to being put on a transplant list. Now, there's live donation and there's deceased i was on the deceased donor list and the life donation with a large family was it an option for somebody to it was and my brother did test for it and then at that stage he was young himself and they had kind of said look maybe hold it off just in case you need another one down the line because you are young and my brother was young he played rugby they were like look he'd have to stop all them things and i was like yeah no so we kind of even though obviously it was totally an option, mm-hmm. we just decided at that time that wasn't the option we'd and go down. Generally speaking, would a member of your family be a, like? How does that work? Is it a genetic thing, or how does it? It's all to do with the blood and tissue type thing, so all it's right. quite specific. So, like you may not necessarily be a no, match. Okay, you might not. It's like, not that simple. Some, yeah, it's not that simple. Unfortunately, okay. we wish it was because of so course. many people wouldn't be on the waiting list. The hundreds of people that are, you know. Um, but I suppose I was on dialysis for two years and kind of decided, I suppose, deciding whether I'd do fourth year or not. And I said to my parents, oh, I don't really want to do it if I can't. You know, I did, I did obviously junior cert. I passed my junior cert, but obviously I was, I wasn't in on time for school or anything like that. I was late, but my school was very, you know, Sensitive. understanding, of course. And, you know, they tried to facilitate me in any way I could. And I got some extra grinds at home to kind of help me. Um, but I was on it for two years and I kind of, in my head, I was getting tired myself of it and, and two years actually isn't that long in the scheme of it. I know people that have been on and a would, lot longer. Would they have given you any indication at the time of how long you could have potentially been waiting or the chances of getting one or there's none of that? All they can say to you is just literally have your phone on constantly because you could get the call at any time, you know. Um, so we did, you know, any little call you'd get and it mightn't even be the call. You'd be like, you know, my parents, I think, for a while after I eventually got the transplant, they were like, that still... must be so nerve-wracking. Yeah, so, um, funny enough, when I got the call, I was back down in Waterford at that summer school. Okay. But the week before that summer school, um, I had had this really vivid dream. And I, like, I had had a lot of dreams throughout my time on dialysis, but not this vivid where it was, def- was going to happen while I was at summer school down in Waterford and I kind of it was so vivid I said to my parents I had this dream you know that we were going to be down at the summer school and I was going to get the call you know and they said look Sally maybe just don't think about it too much because if it doesn't happen then you're going to be upset you know and I kind of said oh but it was really vivid you know and anyway you know we packed up we went on our you know it was a yearly summer school so we'd go every year so we were down there and I'd say we weren't there Two days, I'd say, um, you know, 
during out the summer school, there'd be talks and different things. So my parents had put their phone on vibrate, you know, and put me on dialysis and they went to a few of the talks because it was at night time I went on the dialysis. So kind of maybe seven o'clock that morning, really early, um, the phone started buzzing anyway and they got the call. It's, they said the coordinator, the transplant coordinator from Dublin was saying, look, we have the transplant for Sally. Um, can you get up as soon as possible? Um, so we kind of just, they came over and they tapped and they said, Sally, they have the call, you know, you got the call. And How I kind of... <laughs> funny enough, at that point in time, I actually thought that I was still in my dream. I thought, really? I was just kept saying to them, are you, are you being real? Like, is this, you know, I actually like thought it was still going back to my dream, even though I knew it wasn't, you know. Mm-hmm. I knew we were well past that because it was the week before. Um, so they had to take me off dialysis. There's, you know, a procedure you do if you get the call and you have to come off dialysis early, of you know. Course. So they did that. We had to pack up. And, you know, we met, a f- I think there was a few screams from our room and there was another room above and we heard afterwards, they were wondering, did someone go into a cold shower or something? Because we were all <laughs> screaming. So, because um, it would have been like a dorm with yeah. my fo- whole family. Um, but, funny enough, we just literally just packed up, left, you know, we left on a wave of prayer because there was around, I'd say, 500 people at the summer school who all eventually found out that that's where I had gone. <laughs> yeah, do you know? Because they knew I was sick, and you know, obviously we brought we had brought the machine every time I had to do dialysis. Um, so was it so off to Dublin? Yeah, so Dublin, and the funny thing was, at the time we thought that it would be Temple Street where I get the transplant because I was still technically, even though I was sixteen, it was two thousand and eight when I got the transplant. I was kind of borderline on being an adult and being a child. Um, but they said, look, there's so many transplants that we actually need you to come to Bowmount because that weekend that I specifically got transplants, there was quite a few of them. Um, so we rushed up, but I remember, if anybody knows the, as they used to call the Mad Cow Roundabout in yeah, Dublin, yeah, where yeah, there's yeah, the yeah, the so, so many different, you know, because yeah, it it's mad. Chaos, yeah. So I never seen my dad drive so fast to Dublin, but when we got to the Mad Cow, we were met with police on motorbikes and they literally just stopped I've never seen it, but stopped all the traffic on the roundabout and we just flew through the... But it's like you're full of different emotions when you're going yeah. up there. And obviously I was still young. I'm emotional <laughs> listening to you. I can just picture your parents and yeah. you in that moment. And I suppose be. on the way up, like, you're full of different emotions. You're excited, obviously, because you've been waiting for this call. You're nervous of the outcome of the transplant, of the procedure itself. And then you're, I suppose saddened because obviously something someone else's loved one had to pass on in order to give that was that in your mind a lot that day it was going up i was kind of well aware and i know 16 is young but you're still well aware that someone had to do that someone had to sign that card and talk to their family and say look you know and even at you know that family then had to make sure their wishes were actually carried out. Carried out, yeah. You know, because yeah. it doesn't happen otherwise. Yeah, I definitely want to talk to you about organ donation yeah. at the end. I yeah. think it's important. Um, so I suppose once we got up there, like, I was rushed in, got the transplant. It was kind of, you know, um, I suppose you're never straight in. They still have to do bloods and still have to make sure everything's perfect. And there was a lot of transplants that weekend, but... Um, I suppose I just remember one specific kind of conversation we had with one of the anaesthetists before I was going in. Mm-hmm. She was kind of asked, my mom was kind of telling her about the dream I had had and mm-hmm. the anaesthetist said, oh, does she ever um, ever dream of lotto numbers? And my mom said, well, this is the lotto for us. This is like winning the lotto. Basically, bigger that, that yeah. it's bigger because it's money health can and money can so only much. buy, yeah, do you like, know? And it's it really never, can. so it was just interesting, you know, but um, no, I mean, the transplant was really successful. Um, you know, I was back to normality. I could go back to school, you know. Was, no. it a, was there a couple of months post-transplant that you had to... Um, like, to be honest, I was only in hospital for seven days, which seems so, so small for such a big operation. But obviously, I still had stitches in and still yeah. had to recover. Um, but I suppose that was July, you know, so that was July 2008, so... I ask when you get a transplant is that transplant there forever like how does that work or what's the expected process or do you go on as normal then or um I suppose you 
it doesn't last forever. Okay. A transplant's never like. And is there an expected? So they say the average is 10 years, but I know oh, really? people with 30 years, 40 years. Do you know? So it just depends, I suppose. There's a lot of Especially with involved. the deceased ones, there obviously is however yeah. long it's been in that person's body for and how healthy they of were course. and different elements. Um, but I suppose, yeah, I suppose, look, I was able to go back to school, finish leaving cert. I went on and studied. Um, I went to the 12-week Ballymaloo cookery course. Oh, did you? Yeah. yeah. Well, I loved going through secondary school. I was always a lover of food. I could do a gun there, to be <laughs> honest. But anyway. <laughs> um, so that was really great because I kind of lived down in Ballymaloo while I was doing it and was really my first time ever living out of home. So it was a great experience. Um, do you think you had a different attitude to other people your age because of what you'd been through? Um, I think so. I think, like, I suppose you learn to kind of embrace the small things in life and really appreciate them for what they are, you know, and not kind of, I suppose, worry too much about them small little worries that we all have every day. Oh, you know, um, I think you kind of just learn to kind of... I suppose to live each day as it's your last, really. I know that sounds no, it's, terrible, it's but actually... I'm genuinely curious because I have obviously haven't faced into anything as life-threatening or, you know, you went through so much at such a young age that I, I you must think differently and look at trivial things differently. And, you know, it's all relative, yeah. I know, but you'd obviously have a different perspective. Yeah, no, to- definitely. Definitely, without a doubt. Um, it definitely changes your mindset and it definitely... I mean, I suppose I'm lucky that I've always been of the positive mindset. Obviously, through the difficulties, there was definitely difficult days there. They always say you never know how strong you are and <laughs> being strong is the only choice you have. I and know. that's it. That's you didn't so true. wake up and decide to be a strong, positive person. You fought through it and became that person. I think so, yeah. I think it's, um, as you say, it's not until you're actually put in that situation that you actually, you're, you're able to do it a bit more than you actually yeah. can. You thought you could. Of but, course. Um, and through your 20s, you... Yeah, no, so through my 20s, I was great, and um, it was really, um, and I used to... You celebrated, didn't you? Yeah. I, lo- I loved that part of your story. So I, think I suppose I always wanted, it was actually for myself, mm-hmm. and obviously to remember my donor, but it was for myself that I could actually really properly celebrate it, and, you know, there was always a few tears on the day of the anniversary. Um, I used to celebrate it in our own house back up in uh, Montanati in Cork and um, we had a big back garden so I'd have a, I'd always organise like I'd make the food obviously with my family mm-hmm. and we'd have a barbecue out our back with around 70 to 80 people so there was always a lot of people there I lived around the corner <laughs> I never knew you and I never got invited <laughs> to a party but anyway so uh, I know um, so I suppose yeah it was a very special event it was you know we always had a few kind of readings and some prayers and maybe some poetry at the very start. Um, then sometimes when my sister would be home from London, I'd ask her, could she do a, a dance to a particular song that maybe I meant something to me? Um, and then we'd have, you know, we'd have the food and everyone would, then we'd have a sing song and it would just be a lovely event and a really thing to mark it, you know, mm. to make sure that it was marked because I just felt that was my way of, also processing actually what had happened as well, do you know, because of course. you're only processing it as it goes, even though you think you've processed it already, do you know? Tell me, you don't have any, like, uh, you don't get any information on the donor when, no? No, in our, in Ireland, in most countries you don't, mm-hmm. I suppose. It's Probably prob- rightly so, I was just genuinely yeah, curious I as suppose to it's whether if, In one way, I used to always say, in one part of me would love to know. But then I can completely understand why it's not done. Yeah, and that's kind of respectful, I respectful. suppose, to not know. Now, I do, like, when I, with that transplant, I did um, write to the donor every year, donor family. I You write basically through Home and Hospital. So they send it on that then to donor. so much to the family, though. You know, it's... Yeah, like look, I, I hope it does, and I hope it bring, shows all the things I was able to do with the transplant, you know, and I'd always say, state the different things that I was able to go back to do um, because with a transplant, the only really restrictions you have are you have to take your tablets twice a day, you know, whereas on dialysis, you have to watch your fluid, your fluid and your, your different diet, you know, so there's a lot more to it. And I suppose that letter is always a hard letter to write because you, how can you fully thank someone 
for giving such a gift, you know. Yes, I think it but must yes. mean the world to explain it, yeah. even in brief to somebody. I can exactly. only imagine. And I'd always kind of try, I know a friend that does lovely cards, so I'd always make sure it's a special card that I was sending up, you know. Yeah. Um, and you continued through your 20s yeah, perfectly? Yeah, really good. Great. Obviously just going to my regular clinics. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I suppose kind of the 10-year mark. Um, Were you able to work? Yeah, well, I kind of... What I did was a lot of voluntary work. Mm-hmm. Then I did uh, some childminding for a family mm-hmm. and kind of, yeah, totally yeah. back to normal yeah, life. Normal full life. Time, yeah. Full-time college and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose at 10 years, we could see a decline in it, you know, because I was going to my regular appointments. So it's it's not as if it was going to happen as fast as the other one because so would I was been being okay. monitored, you know. So would it have been the blood works? Like, as in, is that how they'd be monitoring yeah. how you were? It wasn't physically you felt okay? No, or? at the time, no. At the time, I felt fine, you know. Mm. It was just the blood work came back and it was showing that the function of the kidney wasn't doing so well. How did you feel? Were you just um, crushed? Look, I was crushed. I was gutted. My... F- family were my parents were um I suppose I was you angry I suppose you always say why is this happening to me or why again you know um and I suppose in one way I never not that I I knew at some stage it would come and that I probably would need another one because I was so young Mm -hmm. but I suppose maybe I didn't think it was going to happen so fast you know and you think everything's going steady and you've just you know kind of got your feet back and you know your mojo back to do things um, and then you kind of get, you know, stopped. Um, but I suppose with my doctor, I suppose my biggest thing was I didn't want to go back on dialysis because that, for me, was the worst part. The actual getting the transplant was brilliant because I was I recovered really quickly, you know, and I bounced back very quickly. Um, so I suppose I held off another year. So it was actually my 12th or my 11th. Um, anniversary of my transplant when my doctor kind of said you know I had lo- I was you're still so young then yeah like, when you think about it I was gradually losing a lot of weight and you know even though I was eating loads of food it still wasn't because my kidney wasn't functioning right um so I think at that stage my my consultant um Dr. Liam Planton CH an incredible doctor um who I have full trust in it's so important isn't it I yeah. obviously have no um dealings with with himself but Karen's oncologist and it was the same oncologist for mum and the minute I see him it's like something in me just settles because I trust him yeah. you know what I mean totally. and it's so and important to have that and trust that he has my best interest yeah. at heart and that he only wants the best for me um and I never kind of had to obviously worry but never to the extent like you never he, had to question him no and I I suppose he used to say Sally don't worry unless I'm worrying which meant really never worry because he was that sort of doctor you know mm-hmm. or he is that sort of doctor um, so what, what age you know you were 20 20 I suppose I was 28 okay. was it yeah yeah um and were you back on a transfer so list? this was 2000 this would have been 2019 um 19 kind of well 2018 going on 2019 I okay. suppose um and yeah so I went back on the transplant list mm-hmm. um and and sorry at that stage he had said Sally you need to go back on dialysis so I did go back on Dallas. Twelve hours a night again, or no? So this time I decided I kind of, I suppose because I was older, mm-hmm. I was in my late twenties. I knew that because of my underlying condition, I probably wouldn't be able to physically do the home dialysis myself because there was a lot of pulling and hand washes and different things. And I really wanted a form of dialysis that I could do it independently myself. I just felt I didn't want it in the home. I wanted it out of the home. Mm-hmm. That when I came home, home was my kind of sanctuary place. Yeah, I can understand that. So I picked the form in um, CUH, which is hemodialysis, which is basically a blood form of dialysis. So it's, it's different, but it does the same thing. Is it daily as well? Um, no, so it would be three times a week. Okay. Um, now some people have to do four times a week, depending. Um, now it's a very, it is heavy on your system, as you would know, because if you have loads of fluid and then you could imagine it's all off, it's like it's going from one extreme to the other. Um, so after every treatment, I, you know, I drive myself there up early in the mornings, I'd come home and then maybe two hours after treatment, I'd be completely wrecked. Like I'd have zero energy. I'd lie down on the couch at the start. I was kind of fighting. No, I can't go to sleep. I have to like keep going. And then I realized, look, Sally, you're actually sick. Yeah, you not just you let yourself listen. do what it needs to do, you know? 
Um, so I did. I eventually got into a routine and just allowed myself to have, you know, fall asleep. I just, my dog would always, Toby would always be lie down on the ground next to me and I'd be on the couch and I'd just fall asleep. And um, so really them days were days where I couldn't plan anything. They were gone. You know, that, that was kind of a day in the week where it was completely gone. The days in between, I definitely could plan things, but I still wasn't, you know, your full, knowing your 100% self, I definitely wasn't at that um, but it definitely obviously helped and um, thank God we have that treatment that can keep us alive while we're waiting. Mm-hmm. So I did go back on the deceased donor list but in the meantime um, my parents and my aunt went forward for live donation. Um, so that's a long process. Is it you okay? know, um, so when you kind of have the initial stages and then you have to pick one to go forward to the further stages. Oh. So for me, my aunt was looking like the best match. So we kind of went forward with her. And it was a good 10 months of testing up okay. and down to Dublin, different tests. Certain ones could be done in Cork, but most of them in Dublin. Um, and thank God, she, wa- she was a perfect match. And they, we had set a date for transplant. Um, unfortunately, then COVID came. And like a lot of things, it stopped the transplant and they said, look, we'll have... Look, it stopped stuff for all of us, but that's a whole other yeah. level. So I suppose we were kind of building it, you know, I mean, I'm sure my aunt in one way was building herself up. I was building myself up for the transplant. And then when it didn't happen, you know, it meant obviously longer on dialysis for me, um, you know, and... Um, that must have been so frustrating. So it literally didn't go ahead because COVID. Yeah. Yeah, because because a lot of transplants at that time, even um, calls for transplants weren't ha- because there was at the very start of COVID, as we remember, no one really knew what the thing was, you yeah, know, or no. how it was affecting yeah. people. And obviously, people that are in have a transplant or are on dialysis would be in the vulnerable category. So, especially first when you're just after transplant, you're on higher doses of anti rejection, yeah. and you know. Um, so anyway, event that was supposed to be the May, um, May twenty twenty. Um, unfortunately, that didn't go ahead because of COVID. And then in July they had set another date, so that was fine. You know, we were building ourselves up for that then, and kind of a week before. So on the Wednesday, mm-hmm. and we were getting the transport doing the operation on the uh, Monday, the following Monday, we got bloods because they always do final bloods of to course. make sure that that you know that nothing has changed. Is okay, yeah. Um, and I suppose on that Friday, I got a call. F- you know, I could see the call from my consultant. Um, I don't know. I just before picking it up, I just, my heart kind of sunk because I was like, I just didn't have a good feeling. I said, why is he, you know, the fact that I had just gotten the bloods done on the Wednesday and he was ringing me the Friday. Anyway, he said, look, Sally, I don't know how to tell you this, but your antibodies have gone very high and it's a specific antibody against your aunt's kidney that if you got the transplant, the transplant wouldn't work. So my heart sunk. I was trying to hold it together on the phone, trying to listen to him saying all the different parts. I say I wasn't retaining any of it. Mm. Um, I was just in the sitting room on my own at the time, and then my dad walked in, and I just burst out crying. I cu- my my body went cold. Um, I just had to hand the phone straight to my dad because I literally couldn't hold it together. Um, and... Um, he said, look, Sally, I'm so sorry. I know this must be extremely disappointing. All we can do now is wait eight weeks and see if your antibodies kind of go down because people's antibodies do come and go a lot of the time. No, sometimes they stay high. Other times they can come back down. And had you gotten to that stage the first time around when it got cancelled due to COVID? Um, had you gotten to that point? Um, I suppose we, had never, we hadn't gotten to that. The blo- very the blo- fine of the bloods. Yeah, okay. the bloods the week before. So I suppose maybe they could have been changed then. I don't mm. know. Um, so I suppose we waited the eight weeks. So that meant I was back on, or oh, yeah. continue dialysis. I hadn't stopped. Um, and they did the testing again eight weeks later, which would have been August. Um, and he said, look, Sarah, it's, it's actually that your antibodies have gotten worse. There's other antibodies that have gotten higher. So we can't, the live donation just won't work at this point in time. And the only thing, because usually when you get a date for a live donation, you get taken off the deceased donor list because oh, they want okay, to give the, you know, because yeah. you have the date and you're pretty mm-hmm. much getting a transplant. So they want that opportunity for someone else, which I completely understand. 
Um, so he said, all we can do now is put you back on the deceased donor list. But you go back. It's a funny know. thing. It's it, the list isn't like a list one, two, three, four, or five. No, it's it's, not that it's like you're on a list, and if a transplant comes in, that's the exact blood type and tissue typing. You get it. So he was yeah. like, so, "Look, Sally, all I can say is that we'll put you straight back on from today, and if it, we can look at the live donation again in six months' time, if you don't get a transplant." Okay. Um. So sure, I was thinking, oh God, I'm definitely at least going to be on it for, you know, another long time. You know, the dialysis, I didn't think at all I'd get a transplant, you know. I imagine you were probably like feeling guilty as well, which I know you shouldn't have, but I'd imagine you would for your aunt. Oh, I was because I suppose, and that was part of it. I suppose Mm. that when I went into that shock where my body went extremely Mm. cold and I literally just, you know, had no words, I couldn't talk, you know. I think that was what I was like. I, obviously, my own disappointment that I was still going to be on dialysis, but then also that my aunt had gone through All ten of months that. of testing, and it's not happening. You yeah. know, um, you know, and I know that now that that's not the way my aunt would think at no, all. No, nor would you in the same situation. But know, I think there's a natural feeling of she was doing this unbelievable thing, unbelievable because thing. she loved you so much, and yeah. then you know she had gone through all that, and then it just gets cancelled totally. over antibodies. Like yeah, so I know, and it's at the one time when you're like you know yeah, but you know um, I think I I again going back to being a positive person, I suppose I I bounce back. Fairly quickly, do you know? No, still very disappointed and frustrated that, you know, the next day I had to go back into dialysis when I should have been, you know, preparing to go to Dublin for a trans. You know, so it was very difficult. Um, but basically, I was on dialysis and November twenty twenty, mm-hmm. <laughs> I um, drank COVID still, but things were back up and running and they were doing transplants. I got a call for a transplant. Um. I just remember because usually on a Monday night I'd always go to bed early because I'd have dialysis the next day. Yeah. But this night, for some reason, me and my parents were just chatting, you know, downstairs, yeah. and sure we lost track of time. And it was nearly twelve o'clock or something. Anyway, I headed all the, up to bed and literally just turned off my light, put my pillow, my head to the pillow, and my phone started ringing. And it didn't even hit me at the time that it could be Dublin. You know, it just, I don't know, I thought it was my sister or something. No, you know, because um, I have nieces and nephews. Mm-hmm. But was there something wrong or something, you know? So I answered the phone anyway, and um, the transplant coordinator just said, um, Sally, we think we have a transplant for you. Um, and I just couldn't leave it. Like, I was literally, you know, your body always goes into that thing of shock and you know disbelief that it's actually happening and i suppose because the emotions at once like like, uh, happiness excitement fear everything you know disbelief like it must i can see how you would go into shock totally and i'm i suppose then with covid on top of it Mm. you know there was definitely more of an anxiousness you know um and it was going to be different this time around my parents weren't going to be able to be in the hospital with me Um, I wasn't going to be able to have visitors. No, thank God I'm good with technology, so, you know, I could use them means. But still, it's not the same as having people physically by you. Because I suppose she said, look, Sally... So, anyway, I, she said, Sally, I think you should go and tell your mom or dad or whoever's up. And I said, funny enough, they are, my mom is actually awake because we both had only gone up, literally. Um, and I went in, and I couldn't get the words out. All I could say was, it's Dublin. That's all I could say. I couldn't even say it's a call. I couldn't say anything. Um, and I just ha- I said, look, would I hand the phone over to my mom? Because I said, I won't take in everything. So I handed the phone over to my mom, and she was kind of taking some information. And I ran downstairs where my dad had fallen asleep on the couch, <laughs> like he does most nights. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I just woke him up, and I said, Dad, it's the call the call from Dublin and we, we have to go do you know so I'm anyway. sure he thought he was dreaming that time oh he did he, yeah. he woke up in shock like and jumped up now my dad's good he just jumps into action you know mm. he kind of has that mind frame that he'll just jump into action um, I don't think my dog knew what was happening because we were all <laughs> delighted jumping around and I think he knew you know that we were going or something was happening so anyway I had to go back on the call to Dublin they just had to explain I suppose that I'd be going up and I'd have to get t- tested for COVID to make sure I didn't have that and obviously do the final bloods and all that so there's still always that anxiousness 
Now, in, in kidney transplants, it's probably rare that it won't be the right match, but they still have to kind of do it just to be sure. So they said, look, can you leave in the next 20 minutes? So, you know, I still had kind of some stuff packed from the transplant I was supposed to get with my aunt. But I was still, like, thinking in my head, I had to ask my mom, are I packing everything? Trying to remember everything, like chargers and everything, because I knew they weren't going to be coming in. And going on your own, of course. Yeah, so... um, so then, yeah, we just, we did that as quick as possible and just left, you know. You uh, and your mum and your dad? Yeah, we all left in the car and I suppose... <coughs> did you talk? And the, like, what was the conversation? So this, or? I suppose, I just said to my parents, I said, look, I don't actually want to talk about it too much, but let's just put on some lovely happy music and sing away. And, you know, I think I just, because I, in a way, was thinking of it, but I mm-hmm. wanted to process it myself, you know. Obviously, we did say, oh, my God, we still can't believe uh, it and stuff. But that was my way. Um, I've always loved music, and it's always a way I've has helped me throughout the years of challenging times. Mm-hmm. I love to sing. Mm-hmm. I go to the cor- the Voice Works Indie Choir, oh, yeah. which has always, throughout this journey, actually mm-hmm. has been great, because even when we were in COVID, they still did it online, and I it, it really helped me through a tough time, you know. Um, but I suppose um, I... We just rushed, like we just had to go up. So we got Was it up. Bow Mount again. Bow Mount again. Okay. Um, and when we got up there, I suppose it was like half four in the morning. So mm-hmm. it was, you know, really cold. And we got up, and my parents could only go as far as the door of the ward. So hard so to walk. Through. I suppose because I was an adult at this time around. I know, but you're still their child. Yeah. Though. Oh, you are. Oh, yeah. totally. But I even for myself, that was the thing. I was an adult, but actually. I need. I was actually wanting that support of them, and I knew when I went into the ward, it wasn't going to be like it was going to happen straight away. Do you know there was going to be different tests and stuff, and I suppose I was like, how am I actually going to get through all these tests? You know, with no one else there, and you know when you have too much time to think, you're just sitting in a room waiting for different doctors to come in. So it was. There was tears definitely leaving my parents, and I was. They had tears, um, and I said, you know. I had to head off, I suppose, and head in. Um, no, they're the nice... I mean, the transplant ward in, Do- in Beaumont Hospital are just incredible. The nurses, the doctors, everything. The healthcare system in Ireland, once you're in, they're you are, amazing. They are. Yeah. They are, and, and I've been so lucky. I mean, I know some people haven't, and um, but I've been so lucky with the doctors I've gotten and the treatment I've gotten um, throughout my whole journey because, obviously, I've been in hospitals for all of my life, really, since a baby. Um, so yeah, when I went in, they did all the tests, and then they said, "Oh, look, your your potassium is a bit high." So basically, all that meant it didn't mean I couldn't get the transplant. It just meant they had to put me on dialysis for a while because I actually technically was supposed to be on dialysis that morning. Okay. So that's probably why, why every, everything in my body was high. Yeah. You know, um. So they put me on anyway, and then a doctor came up and said, "Oh, like how long more will she be on it?" You know, and the, the person that put me on, the nurse said. Oh, well, she normally does three hours. And they said, no, you'll have to cut that down now because they're waiting for her down in the theatre. Like. So I suppose that was only when I knew, oh, it's definitely happening. you know, Because I was kind of waiting to see... Do you know the time frame of... Uh, what, like, how much of a window have they? Um, I actually don't know the exact yeah. time frame, but I know yeah. they do need to get it. You know, it's yeah. not good for an organ to be out of the body the quicker, for too long. The, the quicker okay. the better, really. But I suppose they do need to make sure everything's in mm-hmm. place. And... Um, so I think that was around. I mean, so yeah, they had to. They had to kind of put down the time on the the machine and only do a smaller amount. Um, and they were happy with that. They were happy that it was at a level that it was okay to go into surgery. You know, mm-hmm. um. So I went down, and you know, you're always in the pre theatre place first, and they're kind of five people are asking you the same different questions to make sure that you actually know what you're going in for, and um. So yeah, I went in and I suppose probably so that was like half four in the morning when we arrived at the hospital and the last time I saw the clock was two o'clock in the day, day, you know, and it was a long wait then. I think my parents, like, to hear, they kept written to my mom more so. My dad's a bit more kind of calm, whereas my mom, you know, as normal, is very anxious and wasn't really getting calls to say, oh, she's out and she's okay. So she rang and she's like, oh. The nurse would say, oh, we haven't heard anything yet. She's not back up to the ward yet anyway. Um, so I think it was like 8 o'clock that night or something when they first heard, look, she's out, she's doing very well, you know, all that kind of. So, um, yeah, and I suppose within like two days, like 
colour back on my face, you know, appetite, you know, just incredible how Amazing quick, how your body perks up. How just, quick it's something incredible, can happen. It? You know, obviously I did have recovery and stitches and all that. Um, and at the time we kind of, we could only kind of stay in the ward. So we'd go out, you know, we'd go out and we'd be walking up and down because they want you up as quick as possible as well. So that's where you'd meet the other transplant patients and you'd be chatting to them how they got the call or, you know. And some people had live donations, some people had deceased and, you know, um, because you only actually need one kidney yes, to, survive, to survive, you know, yeah. so two people would have gotten it from the same donor, oh, you know, yeah, I never thought yeah, of that. as well as probably possibly loads of other organs. Yeah, I never thought of that, actually. Yeah, um, so, yeah, so I again was in for seven days. You didn't see anybody during that no, time? No, no, I didn't, I could, and that was, that you know must what? have been heartbreaking, and especially for your family as well, it like, was, on both wa- sides. It was very hard, and actually, because I think I thought at the start, oh no, it'll be fine, you know, sure, I, I have to recover anyway, and that... But I think as the days went on, I was finding it a bit more difficult because, yeah, it's fine. Like, my, even my friends were so good. They'd do the video calls and, you know, my parents would. And I'd talk to different, my aunt and different people. And, of course, she was delighted, you know. Of course. Um, delighted that I got the call. And she always says, now, look, maybe in a way you were protecting me from something that I didn't mm. know wasn't going to be right for me. And now you have a transplant and I'm well. So... I suppose you can always look back on things like that and say, well, that maybe that was the reason, you know. Um, and I suppose during my time of kind of from when my kidney started to fail again, I did say, um, organise a gift of life ball. Okay. So it was basically my idea for it um, was basically to highlight organ awareness yeah. um, and to bring families together that were going through that. So we had it in the Clayton Hotel. There was 250 people at it. Fair play um, to you. How did you go about that or what did you do? I suppose I had done an events management course. Okay. And obviously from the time I got diagnosed with kidney failure, I've always wanted to try and reach out and share my story in the hope that it would help others. Mm-hmm. And I suppose I kind of thought I knew that the Cork branch of the I- Irish Kidney Association was... Um, buying a house near the CUH that okay. they're actually now eventually doing up okay. and they're redeveloping it and it's going to be like a support centre for renal patients and their families so that if they need to come to Cork for treatment or to train for dialysis that that can be a sanctuary for them you know whether they need to stay there or whether they just want to come and have a cup of tea and not have to like go across similar to Whittleton or something you know to have some, very yeah. similar and yeah. tell me did you find it a huge help meeting people in similar situations? Oh, totally. Or it must be. Totally. Yeah. Like, I, I have... Because um, I'd imagine from being young, when you started, when you were ill so young, that you probably sometimes were like, am I the only one? And Oh, totally. And I think, actually, more so did I meet more people the second time around. Yeah. Like, I have three... Like, I have incredible friends, obviously, that don't have transplants or haven't been through, but they're still really there for me. And through all the yeah. ups and downs, they've stood by me. Yeah. But I also have three incredible friends, one that has a double lung and heart, one that has a lung, er, um, a liver, and one that has a kidney like myself. And, and no one will ever understand that unless no, they've been there, look, they won't. And, and even and at that, their journeys are completely different, yeah. but they can still be like, yeah, actually, I felt like that as well. Or, yeah. do you know, they can just be there like that. And I suppose, kind of, true encouragement, that was where the ball came about because... I kind of was thinking for a long time, I'd mm-hmm. love to do something. And I wanted it to be a bit bigger and not... I had obviously always, with my first transplant, doing the my own kind of party to celebrate. But I wanted to do something on a bigger level. Mm-hmm. And I suppose when I did the events management course, I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this. And I just mentioned it to my sister Sophie and... She said, yeah, go for it. Like, and then yeah. I said it to my parents. And when they were all encouraging, I was like, all right. So, do you know. And something to focus on as well, I suppose. Totally. So during that time, like some people probably thought I was mad. They were like, you're sick again. Why yeah. are you putting yeah. this on yourself? But um, I actually found it almost therapeutic in that it was something I could really focus on. It was a positive thing. It was helping others that were in similar situation. And um, so you had a sold out event, two hundred and fifty people. Yeah, That's and you know event. I organised the hotel, the band, yeah. the ticket selling. I know well, don't worry. Yeah, you it's know as easy. I know, yeah. Maeve, no, because you've easy. done so much for Marymount yourself. But and you're now involved with the kidney association. Yeah. So for the last only up until this year, for the last three years, I was the chairperson of the Cork branch. Okay. So that was also kind of while I was on dialysis, and yeah. then obviously when I came out the other side. 
but also even being the chairperson was because at the time the chairperson that was there the present one kind of said are you sure now Sally you want to do it if you think it's going to help you fair enough but you know if you think it's going to be too much and I said no I actually think it's going to be great for me you know um and it was it was definitely a support and it was definitely an incredible experience um so I'm always trying to find ways of I suppose promoting organ awareness and I'd be very passionate. Can we talk about that for a minute because I'll be honest right I was talking to Stephen my husband and I was telling him about you because I just think you're incredible and (laughs) I said Stephen am I an organ donor and I said I think I am but I don't remember where I did that or so like I know you can go online and everything but then he said I think I did my driver's license and we genuinely didn't know so how how does everybody make sure or in Ireland you have to opt in at present is that right? No so at the moment like um, it's you sign the organ donor card, okay, um, or it is on your driver's license as well when you're doing the form for That's your driver's license. Said, yeah. There's okay. a tick the box kind okay. of thing, and then they put a specific number on your thing to, okay. and then that's how they can tell that you. Okay. Now the biggest thing in Ireland is that conversation with your next of king and family. People just need to talk about it. They have they to, to talk, talk about it, and it's so not important. it's not it's not an easy conversation, and I completely understand that because it's. You know, you're talking about the future when, at a time when of l- great loss, you know, but it's also but so what a gift, what a gift to give somebody. You're giving somebody else a life. It's, I think, as a, a family of somebody that might have lost somebody, you'd feel you were giving back and totally, you know, keeping a part of them alive almost. Yeah. You know, and you can actually, there's even the e donor card for your okay. mobile phone. Do you um, just go on the website and download that? Yeah. Okay. Do you know, even into your Play Store or your App Store, depending on what kind yeah. of phone you have, you download the download it. Um, um, and it's just get the conversation out get there. Get the conversation it? going, you know, and the more people in your family you talk about them, which is with the more likely it's to happen. Yeah. You know, so important. Um, Tell me about your future. Tell me what's the head, what's going on. So yeah, I suppose, look, I'm You're so healthy, you look great. Yeah, and I am, because I'm delighted, like, I'm so just full of energy and really wanting to do things now so I suppose I'm I'm going to be two years transplanted in November Mm -hmm. um so I suppose my I suppose my next goals you could say um my biggest thing is to find some part-time work hopefully maybe in the charity area working kind of you know and continuing to promote organ awareness um I really want to do another gift to light ball because I probably would have done one before now if COVID do wasn't it. here. So that's my next goal. Um, I think um, because I think families that night when we did have it, I think families had never actually kind of celebrated. There was probably a feeling in that room you know of I mean? community and it understanding. Was it yeah, was something, something else. Yeah. And we did have speakers on the night that had gone through the journey as well and explaining their journey. Um, and I know my friend Isabel Terry won't mind me mentioning her. Oh, I know her. Yeah. yeah. Um, so she she waited 14 years for a double lung and heart transplant. So we had her on the night. And she's just so inspiring the first time I ever met her. And I think there's so many people that have had you lots. Very, very inspiring yourself. <laughs> no, but you know, no, not at all. And everyone's gone through so many different journeys. But I suppose that night was just so special. Of course. So that's you need my, to do another one. That's an, yeah. So that's definitely on the top. And I suppose, you know what, travelling more. Mm-hmm. I haven't been able to travel, obviously, because of COVID and then being back on dialysis. Um, thank God this summer I did go to Paris. I went to see Coldplay and went to I Italy with my friends. Well, you, you'll love them. Yeah. Um, and I just think, you know, kind of, and just really enjoying the little things in life, like I going for that cup of tea with my friend exactly or going, going out you. for dinner yeah. or, you know, like... Um, enjoying time with my nieces and nephews i have 13 of them um you know like i feel blessed that i'm here and i'm actually able to see them grow up like i'm sure they're blessed that you are you know and i just um yeah and i suppose just continuing to spread the word of organ donation you know and i hope that you know today people listening Mm -hmm. that something has clicked and said oh i must talk i must talk talk to another person person about it can i ask you just one last question i suppose look you've phased into life-threatening illness at a very young age twice and and gone through so much illness in your life like what advice would you give to people out there that are to to help them to be as positive as you are and to be as grateful as you are you know what what advice would you give to people I suppose look in general all I can say is especially for people that are awaiting a transplant but in general Mm -hmm. 
just keep that hope there because that for people that are awaiting a transplant that call does come it's happened to me twice and it, do, it, it might not feel at times that it's coming or that you get lots of knocks along the way but if you can in any way just the times that you are feeling well enough enjoy them little bits and you know each day remember pick something that you're thankful for you know even if the rest of the day was terrible you know you were wrecked from dialysis or whatever but even if it was that small cup of tea with your mom sitting down you know or your sister or friends it's the small things if you can just pick a small thing from your day that you know keeps you going and keeps you pushing and if you can keep up the things that you love doing as well you know I found that a great strength in that I didn't just stop everything I still kept up my singing and I still kept up you know swimming as much as I could and cooking and you know at home if I couldn't go out doing things I'd still be coming up with recipes and doing it at home so if you can kind of keep them up to some level because or else you just feel oh this destroyed my whole life rather than okay yeah it is terrible but actually I can still do these things and yeah just don't give up don't give up because it's worth fighting you know life is worth fighting for Sally, thank you so much. Honestly, no I, your story is so inspiring, and just thank you so much for sharing it. Thanks. And just make sure that everybody has a conversation out there about organ donation because it's so incredibly important, and you're you're proof of that. Thank you so much. Thank you.